0: This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boon people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: society and culture isn't set up to support women. It's just not full stop, right? It's just not. And so we're all scrambling to do the best we can, you know, and there's this pressure to be a great mom and cook fabulous, healthy meals and have a clean house, and then also be successful at what we do and not bring the mum part into the work part. And it's really crazy. Like I, I, I really don't believe men have to navigate what we do within this. And my thing, what I've learned over the years, is well, be where you are where you, when you are there. So when I'm with my kids, be present with my children. And, you know, even in the work that I teach, it's not so much about the amount of time that we send with our kids. It's how present we are when we're with them.
0: Lael Stone is a parenting educator, TEDx speaker, author, and the co-creator of Woodline Primary and the Aware Parenting podcast. She has a son and two daughters, ranging from their late teens to early adulthood. And in many ways, her career trajectory has closely mirrored her parenting journey. Now, I don't know if it's that soothing voice or the way she holds space for those around her. But either way, an hour of conversation with Lael is much like a therapy session. Here, we talk knowing when to walk away even when the party's humming how we can help our children without solving their problems for them, and the moment she did a TED Talk in front of her adoring kids. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the empathetic and empowering Lael Stone. Lael Stone, I'm absolutely stoked to have you on the show. You are the guest of the most popular Imperfects podcast, I think, for last year. So I'm feeling a little bit starstruck. Can you first start by introducing yourself and your
1: family? Thank you so much. Um, I'm so happy to be here. I'm an author, an educator, a speaker, which really means that I've just wrote a book. I'm about to write another book. Um, I work with families all over the world, really, on how we kind of raise kids to be connected and, and also look at our own stuff as parents um, I do a lot of speaking, so I work with the Resilience Project, I do talks for them, I do talks, you know, all over Australia on, on parenting and looking at our own shadow stuff, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm the co-creator of a beautiful primary school that we opened a few years ago called Woodline Primary, so that took quite a few years of my life to open my school. Uh, and I'm also a mama to three beautiful children, so uh, my beautiful son Kai is nearly 23, then I have a 19-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old daughter. And I think I've been with my husband, Mike, now for maybe like 26 years or something like that. So yes, yeah, so I've had a, a big work journey. I've been an entrepreneur or really started have run my own businesses. I started my first company when I was 20. So I've um, worked for myself pretty much most of my adult life. And um, even though I've done lots and lots of different projects, I always come back to just I like to be my own boss and do it the way I want to do. So that works very well for me.
0: Amazing. You're just wearing a few hats there. Can you tell us about your career journey to date a little bit deeper? Can you go back to the start for us?
1: So I think, look, when I finished secondary school, you know, and it was really, I went to, you know, a pretty fancy private school and it was really pushed into you, like go to university, get a degree. But I just had this feeling of like, ah, there's got to be more in the world. So I took what was meant to be a year off and went and traveled overseas, but ended up being there for two years which you know i think a lot of young people do where it opens your eyes and you just go wow there's more than exists just in the little suburbs that i live in <laughs> and uh and then i think when i came back i would i'd, I'd kind of lived quite a lot that i thought you know what i i don't really want to work for someone else i want to do my own thing so the first company i started was a company called Wishlandia which was a children's entertainment company so this was way before well this is actually was around the same time that the Wiggles came out right so now I'm really showing how old I am and really what I did is I would go to um children's birthday parties and entertain them I'd dress up like as a fairy or a mermaid or all sorts of stuff and then I got really busy and then I hired more people and then we would put on big shows and pantomimes on school holidays and so I did that for about seven years with my children's entertainment company and then um and amongst that time then I had my first child and then um when he was a few years old and then I actually had my second baby and then I remember just having this feeling of like I just this doesn't feel right for me anymore and um, I'm a big believer in following your gut and your heart of what feels right for you and I'd had a really powerful second birth experience and I think it just blew me open in this whole amazing way that I was like wow I I want to know more about this and I want to help women have powerful experiences My first birth was a traumatic one. So the second one, which was very healing, made me realize, you know, it can be an incredible experience. So I ended up just closing my company much to my husband's, you know, disgust. He's like, we should sell it. And I was like, no, I just, I I literally didn't want to sell it to anyone. I just wanted to leave it, close it. I was like, I just created it from nothing. I can create something else. And then I kind of started at the beginning again and I started working in birth. So I became a childbirth educator and a doula and, you know, had to learn all over again right from the beginning but I was so passionate about it that I just like jumped in and just wanted to learn as much as I could whilst I had two little kids at home. So I started a business called About Birth with a beautiful friend of mine, Jules Brooks. And, um, you know, we would teach workshops and we studied calm birth and then we'd teach calm birth and then I would be attending births. And then I found myself doing a lot of postnatal trauma counseling, you know, because women were having a lot of um, trauma in birth experiences and then we actually created About Birth Online which was way before online programs even existed so that was probably about nine years ago and we spent all this money created this online program because we were like well people need to access good education uh, that was a huge learning experience so we created About Birth Online it still exists today it's still great really amazing so education your time. we were and that. you know we we were at that time where we were like oh, my God, this is going to revolutionise everything. Everyone's going to love it. But I'm sure many people who are early adopters would would learn this. It just didn't take off in the way we thought, right? Yeah. And I was like... Being too ahead of your time can sometimes be a pitfall yes, right. But then when COVID hit, it was like it came into itself. So we already had this online program and everyone was struggling and so our sales just went like increased by 600%. It was crazy. It was just like it peaked five years later, really thanks to COVID. So all of a sudden we're like, oh, brilliant. You know, we already had this program there while everyone was scrambling to do stuff. We are like, well, here it is. You know, we're, we've already been set up. That was a really amazing, valuable learning experience. Um, creating that program, it cost us so much money, but it was, you know, you learn and you, you learn by all these beautiful things. So I worked in birth for a really, really long time. And then um, I had my third baby, And we had another beautiful journey experience together and and that awakened a a big love for me about trauma and understanding trauma and healing from trauma. And I'd been working with parents a lot, but I think um, it was mainly kind of in that baby phase and then I wanted to take it to the next phase. So I became an aware parenting instructor and then started working with um, aware parenting, which is the work of Dr. Aletha Salter. And so I started running workshops with parents and working one-on-one with them. And, um, and then that evolved over time to creating podcasts that I did with Marion Rose. So we had the Aware Parenting podcast. At the same time, I also had the opportunity to build a school that was based on many of these philosophies. So with another um, beautiful partner, Mel, you know, she came to me and said, you know, I wish there was a school that encompassed everything that you talk about. And, and she said, you know, I've got the finance and the infrastructure to do it. Why don't you build a school that you think you should exist, which was something that I never, ever thought would happen. I, I didn't even really like education. I had a really crappy <laughs> time at school. So I was like, what? But here's this opportunity to build something really amazing. So that took about three years of my life, creating the school. And then uh, we opened a few years ago and it's absolutely booming and thriving now. How do you even go about
0: opening a school? Oh, I, I can't just be to tell you, it
1: is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm-hmm. massive. It's like building a village Uh, there is so much to it. And there's a reason why people don't really open schools (laughs) because it's really hard and it's really expensive and it takes a lot of time and you've got to have a lot of grit and probably just the right amount of crazy to pull it off. Mm -hmm. So, um, somehow we did. So, yeah, so the school was another big piece and, you know, even from our podcast that then what birthed from that was Marion and I were like, how about we write a book with everything we talked about. So we collaborated and wrote our first book, which was released in December just last year. And, you know, amongst that time too, you know, I connected in with the Resilience Project, which is an amazing organisation, and started doing some presentations for them, which I still do, which is beautiful. I get to, you know, talk all over Australia, talking to parents about how we stay connected to our kids and helping them to be resilient humans. Um, I think that's it. Is that where I'm up to now?
0: <laughs> like, have you ever like left anything out? I don't know. No, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm kidding, sure that. there is.
1: There I is think stuff you've done in there. just a
0: bit. Yeah, it's probably hard to keep up with your own schedule, you do so much. That is incredible. Mm. It's also really interesting how your career trajectory almost matches your parenting journey. It does. With, and then it became yep. about kids and mm-hmm. parenting in those later years.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's actually one thing I forgot. I spent about five years teaching sex education to teenagers. You're exactly right. As my kids grew and I think through each phase they went through, I was really like, I want to know more or Mm. how do I do this as consciously as possible? And so I'd I'd throw myself into learning as much as I can and particularly when my son, when he was about 13 and was really starting to go through puberty and just developing, I was really like, wow, I just really want to make sure that I get Mm. this right. Like I want him to be an excellent human in the world. And, um, and his school at one point asked if I'd come and do a talk on birth and you I I as a birth educator. So I came in and did a talk on birth. And then I was talking to one of the teachers going, you know, do you, teach, do you talk to the kids about pornography and about, you know, healthy relationships and boundaries and consent? And they're like, oh no. And I was like, oh my God, well, you need to. And, can I come and do a presentation for you? And they're like, yeah, for sure. And so then I just created something and then some other school heard and another school heard. And before I knew it, I was just teaching it in schools because people were like, we need more of this. So that was a beautiful, juicy part of my journey as well. Learn, you know, working with teens a lot and bringing a whole different lens to sex education. And um, that was also really, really valuable. So I'm a big believer in just following um, what life brings to you and, you know, following your passions within it. And I've always worked for myself. So I've, you know, I love to collaborate with others and, but really at the end of the day, it's about, I I like to be able to do it the way I want to do it. And, And in my timeline, you know, and juggling family and all those kind of things. Amazing. It sounds like you were ahead of the curve with that as well. If I can now take you back
0: to when talks of a family creating your own family come to be. Can you tell us a little bit about that specifically, I guess, from that business owning
1: point mm. of view? <laughs> well, I would love to say that it was deeply planned and we we got <laughs> spreadsheets and we looked at stuff. It was literally like a, oh, maybe we should have a baby one day. Now I'm telling you, we were young, like I was 24 when I got pregnant and oh, so wow. naive, so naive, right? And so we were just like, I mean, I don't think we even owned our car. Like I look back and think I do not know how we got through that. But I think both my husband and I are really just not so much spontaneous, but we just follow our gut. Like we're like, yeah, where is this? And, and part of me felt really ready to have a baby. Like I'd traveled, I'd been running my own company. Like there was part of me like, what's next? And so we kind of joked one day about having a baby. And then literally like two or three months later, we were like, oh, whoops, we're pregnant. So there was no (laughs) planning. I think everybody around us was probably like, oh, this is not going to go well, right? But my husband and I, are like, yep, okay, let's give it a go. So, in my naivety again, I was, you know, twenty five when I gave birth to Kai. You know, I thought, oh, I can just run my business on the side; it'll be fine. I'll just run my business while he sleeps. Like, oh, I, you know, like every parent now, you just like, oh, it doesn't just roll like that, you know. Um, so I, I thought that it would be fine. I'd just juggle it, and um, it wasn't fine, and it didn't go well, and it was really, really challenging. And that's that was probably my first introduction into how important support is, not only for the mother but within business and all those kind of things. So it was very tricky because I felt torn in both places. When I was with my son, I'd be thinking about the business and when I was with my business, I'd be thinking about my son and I don't feel like I did either well really in Mm. the beginning. It was really challenging and there was a lot of frustration and and I think because I just had no idea how to do it in a way that was – that was connected to myself, but also for the bigger picture of what I was doing, it was a real struggle. It was tricky. Mm. I would not, I would not advise to do it that way.
0: <laughs> and so did return to work even exist as a concept? Or oh, like no, it just kind of rolled was it just on. Like, there was no return to Get back yeah. in there. And that was
1: it. Wow. Well, we ran our business from home. So I think, you know, I gave birth. I did have by that point, someone else working for me running, kind of running the business. And she was doing a lot of what I would do, but it was still there. And I, so there was no maternity leave. Like I didn't have like a year off of paid, you know, be with my son. I was still in the business and, and, you know, then even like if one of my entertainers was sick or couldn't go to a party. Like I, I reckon I was maybe, my son was like two months old or something and I was having to dress up and go and do a oh, gig somewhere. I actually like, cannot you know, imagine press, that. Like you were 25 maybe. Breastfeeding <laughs> yes. yeah. like before I kind of, you know left quickly and then I'll be like I'll be back in two hours and you know there was all those scrambling things that you do I think when you're young and you're naive and you just do whatever you have to to get through it so it wasn't um it wasn't great and it, and really I think both my husband and I he was he works for himself as well so he's a designer and so I think we were just trying to keep our head above water, you know, and also adjust to being parents and mm. and you know that for anyone who's a parent, they know it's such an initiation in, and there's so much that goes with it. It's so big. So yeah, it was a really challenging time. Mm. And I don't think it really matters does it
0: if you're 35 and prepared or 25 and unprepared. Mm. You're still learning on the go. No one can teach totally. you this stuff before you do it. So did you have any was there much conversation? around making it work at that time did you have any peers or mentors or did you just fly <laughs> by the seat of your pants
1: we were like we were making this up <laughs> as we go and i think you know again if i were to look back what would i have needed i would have really needed a mentor and i think i was the first my husband and i were the first of all our friends to have kids so we didn't really have anyone else to go god how hard is this or where is that at we were and on some level i think the parenting part we were very naive, but I think we weren't in that place where we were comparing ourselves to others. So we really, on some level, were learning to trust our gut and figure it out. And, and I look back and think, actually, that was probably a blessing. I didn't have people to compare of, you should do it like this, or they should sleep like that. We were just like, all right, well, what would our gut say? What, what would our instinct say? So on some level, that was quite beautiful. Um, but from a business perspective, yeah, no, nah, I really, really needed a mentor. I really needed someone to go, hey, this is not sustainable, and how can you do this in a way that's going to serve you and your family? So uh, I learned the hard way for sure, and oh, and I definitely so many learnings. Oh, it was it was huge, and I definitely think. Um, not having the support or not knowing that support was so vital, what was was really tricky. So I think the first few years of mothering for me were really hard and I was quite unhappy. And I think because I was trying to juggle all of these, I, I was really struggling with that initiation into motherhood. You know, I often used to say to mums, it's there's a part of you that dies when you give birth, right? And yeah. you are now a different person and learning how to be in the world within that and you're in service to this little person all the time, and that's huge. I mean, I remember just thinking, "This is relentless. Like, this mm-hmm. is not going to stop. Yeah, when and, when are they going away? Are, yeah, going to give me an hour? None. Go and somewhere else for an hour. Totally. <laughs> and and you know, I think all those big initiations that we have into motherhood, uh, I didn't have. I didn't know that that was a thing. And I think if I look back and go, to have someone explain that to me, or just offer me empathy and compassion in that, would have made a difference. To Um, you know, I just kept thinking, all right, just suck it up, keep going. Like, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out. But really it was at the detriment of the connection to myself. You know, I think I just didn't know how vital support was saying yes to help, realizing I didn't have to do it all. All those kind of things were tricky. Yeah.
0: So then you go on to have two daughters. What did you learn from that first experience, particularly from that sort of business career and making work work side of things?
1: Yeah, well, so I think again, when by the time I had my second baby, I was still running my business and um but I'd gotten a bit smarter by then about outsourcing and help. So that felt a little bit easier. And, and as I mentioned, I had a really beautiful healing experience with my second. And so that it kind of made moving into mothering for the second time a lot gentler. And it felt yeah, I felt like I found my feet. And I often used to say to mums when I worked with them that, you know, that first birth sometimes is like the initiation into parenthood, and the second one is often there's a lot of healing with it, and you already know how to be a mum, and so you know it, now it's just figuring out how to juggle two people, you know and um but already that kind of servitude and being with your children is already there, so it doesn't feel such a shock, so there was a lot more beauty, I think second time round and and as I kind of mentioned after I gave birth to my daughter, India, it really made me go, wow, I want to do this now. So it really kind of changed my business path. And and then I went back to learning a lot. So those first few kind of years of having two kids, I just did a lot of learning and kind of study and listening and watching. And, and my husband was, you know, deeply supportive. So when I started saying, oh, look, I want to go to birth as a doula, you know, you're then on call, which is really tricky when you've got little kids, because sometimes you get called out in the middle of the night and then you're gone for a day or two. And and, you know, he was so beautifully supportive and we managed to to navigate it. But that, that kind of shifted the business a bit from I'm not building an empire to actually just being of service to these women I was working with and learning and I absolutely loved it. And so I slowed down a lot, you know, as in the pace of what I was doing then. I kind of was – it dawned on me that my kids were going to be little for a really short amount of time. And so in that next phase and then when I had my third baby – you know, in those kind of first eight to 10 years of mothering, I began to then see that perhaps this isn't the time to be building something massive. And, and that's hard for someone like me who is quite driven and has got, you know, big, like, you know, I, I'm all a big dreamer vision, like let's build, let's build a school, let's build all these things. right (laughs) Um, I'm all about the bigger picture. And, and that was tricky when I was at home with three kids, because I was like, this isn't the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember having to just go, my time will come and that's okay. And so for now you're here with these little beautiful humans and this is probably your greatest work on some level because you're shaping them. So how can I do this as consciously as possible? And really, if I look back now, I go, that was the best thing ever because the work that I've done in the world, which is all about parenting and looking at our own stuff and and being with our kids in a really conscious way, well, I can't just speak that. I have to live it. And so I feel like those years at home with my kids were so valuable in teaching me what I know because I was living it with them. And many times I would be watching them play or I'd be doing something and I'd be like, like, almost like integrating all this kind of knowledge and going, yeah, I'm actually living it to understand it. And so then as they kind of grew and got older, I realized then I had more space and time to kind of put more of my work out there or to do it slowly. So I always had something trickling on the side, even if it wasn't full time, it was just little part time bits and pieces. And then I think as they all went to school, they were all at school at some point and I had more space. I was like, okay, there's a bit more time and energy. And and really then as they moved into adulthood and I must probably say the last four years for me has been where my work has really landed. And I actually see the wisdom of that because I think I needed to mature. I needed to know what it was like to raise children into adulthood. Um it it has been a time of patience, but now I really see that it is time. It's about timing. A lot of the time it's about timing. Mm-hmm. And for me it's like this is the perfect time for all my stuff to launch in a bigger way in the world. Even though I've been doing it for 20 years. It's like now I don't have to look after children as much. You know, my my Husband we've kind of swapped roles a bit now like he kind of takes care of the house and the washing and you know he drives my daughter around and I do a lot of travel for work and and it and it works really well now because I'm not needed as much and um and we've got that beautiful balance. What an interesting journey. I imagine
0: you're right now at the peak of your career. You seem very busy. You're becoming very prominent. And your kids are also entering that next phase. I guess you have young adult and late teen kids. What does making work work look like for you now?
1: Yeah well it's really different because it's and it really is these different phases of raising your kids Uh, I mean look even if it was six seven years ago I probably wouldn't be where I'm at now because you know I would have had two teenagers and still a young one and teenagers still need you you know it's it's different needs but they still need you to be around so I probably wouldn't have felt comfortable to do it now but I think because my third child she's a third child you know she's 15 going on 28 so we often chose that she she often looks at me she goes mom I don't need you to parent me I parent myself and I've got to laugh and go it's pretty true with <laughs> the third wise. kid <laughs> yeah it's for anyone who has three or four children will know the third one third and fourth are pretty robust they're like yeah whatever um I think now it's really different like my adult kids are living their best adult lives and we catch up you know when we can and it's beautiful to spend time together and then they go and do what they need to do which is what what it should be. And, you know, my 15 year old, you know, she's doing year 10 and, you know, she's really content and we check in a lot and we hang out and we just have really quality, beautiful time together. But it's okay that I'm not there all the time now. Um, Whereas when they were younger, I, I really saw the benefit of being around for them and having that spaciousness so that when they do have something going on or they need to talk, I was present. And I think that's a really tricky thing, particularly for women because when you do love what you do or you have you know great passion for your work it can feel such a massive split because mm. you know there's that part that mama part of you that's wanting to hold that space and wanting to be there and yet there's another part of you that can feel really career driven and and again i kind of come back to sometimes it is just about timing and taking a breath and knowing it's not always going to be this way, that, that it will, your season will come. I, I mm-hmm. remember hearing and thinking that and thinking, yep, that's okay. I can just mark my time.
0: For mums that maybe aren't able to, I guess, pause as much while their kids are young, I guess self-compassion and forgive, forgiving ourselves is quite a key theme that's coming up in these episodes. What? what would be your advice around if you can't
1: quite be there as much as you would like to? Yeah. It's, well, I think it's really, it's really how we do, we are not set up, our society and culture isn't set up to support women. It's just not full stop, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not. And so we're all scrambling to do the best we can, you know, and there's this pressure to be a great mom and cook fabulous, healthy meals and have a clean house and then also be successful at what we do and not bring the mum part into the work part. And it's really crazy. Like I I, I really mm-hmm. don't believe men have to navigate what we do within this and I think our culture isn't set up to support us within it, and so I come back to going, we're all doing the best job we know how. And 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 my thing, what I've learned over the years is, well, be where you are, where when you are there. So when I'm with my kids, be present with my children, and you know, even in the work that I teach, it's not so much about the amount of time that we spend with our kids; it's how present we are when we're with them. So, half an hour of present time with your child, where you don't look at your phone, you don't make a cup of tea, you are just looking into their beautiful eyes, seeing that little kind of earlobes, their eyelashes, like you're delighting in them. You're following their lead, you're playing, you're laughing. That is powerful in that beautiful connection. And so, I think in our bottom world, it's a really, it's a tricky juggle. It's a really, really tricky juggle between earning money sometimes just to survive or doing what we love and also being a mom, you know, and, and ideally when we look at children, we sh- they should have attachments to a few caregivers so that they feel safe and loved. And that then it's the village and the tribe that helps raise the kids. I mean, that's really where we should be, but we're not. Mm-hmm. And then I feel that women often carry the, the heavy load of all of that.
0: It's so interesting that you say that too, because you can so quickly feel guilty if you think you're not there enough for your child. But Ultimately, one day we won't be there for our children. Also, they're going to move through the world and have all these different experiences. So why then does society pin it on the mum to do all Mm. of that, the mother load of work? Yeah,
1: yeah. it's big, isn't it? I mean, attachment is really, really important. And we know that that's what helps children to thrive and also to feel good in the world. And I think it is, it's a really tricky juggle of how do we do that with um, this isolated family unit that we live in? And as I as I said before, sometimes it is survival. It's just purely I need to put food on the table and this is how yeah. we do it. Um, and, and I think it's, I come back to this and go, well, what makes us a good mother? Like, and a lot of that is about how do we get our needs met? Now, for some women that is working because that really fills them up and they feel seen and acknowledged because mothering on some level is very invisible you know, and I really absolutely understand why some women don't want to be at home with their children all the time because they feel unseen and that I absolutely get that. Uh, and and so therefore kind of we're having to look at, all right, well, what is going to make a woman feel feel the best version of herself? Now, sometimes that is working a bit. and Sometimes that's being seen and acknowledged for what she does. And then when she is with their children, she really, really wants to be there. For others, it's just being with their children all the time and they that makes them feel really happy. And then there's other women who would just love to be with their kids full time but can't because they have to work. Like it is, there is no right and wrong within it. And I think at the end of the day we have to come back to what serves you, what's going to make you feel the best version of yourself so that you can turn up for your children in the way that you want, you know, and that Mm -hmm. looks different to everybody. Mm -hmm. That is so soothing hearing you say
0: that. This feels like a therapy session. I love (laughs) it (laughs) What are some of your highest highs and lowest lows of navigating work and parenting so mm. far? Uh,
1: I think the trickiest parts are you know the lows have been when sometimes I have to go to work and and my kids are sick or and I don't want to leave them and I can't cancel what I'm doing and and sometimes it's really tricky in the work I've done where people you know, I've got 150 people coming to see me do a talk and I can't just go across or I can't go. And, mm. and, you know, that's been really hard sometimes. And, you know, I think that's where we need the village and I'm very blessed with my husband or my my family, my mom or my in-laws, you know, or people there to love on them, you know, if if needed. That was really hard in those times where I had commitments I had to do. Uh, I think the lows were the times where I was not looking after myself and meeting my own needs and um, and therefore, you know, I would be resentful. And so I'd be angry at working or I'd be angry at my kids and I just wasn't getting my needs met. And at the end of the day, you know, if if you are a mother and you're often the center point of the family, if we don't look after you, then nobody's winning. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. That's my thing at the end of the day. We have to take care of your needs. So I learned the hard way, actually. I think um, after I had my third baby, we had a very challenging birth experience together and, and um, a whole lot came up for her and for me and I ended up having PTSD for a few years. And that was actually a massive game changer and a blessing in my life because it actually made me stop and reassess everything. And as I had to learn to work through my trauma, I really had to learn to lean into what is a strong yes for me and what is a no so I I was often in the place of I can do it all and I'll just keep going and saying yes to things I shouldn't say yes to. And having to navigate and heal from that really made me get very clear around what my boundaries were and what was a good yes and what was not. And and I had to undo a lot of the kind of good girl, I'll keep everyone happy thing to actually step into my powerful self, which was like, actually, no, that doesn't work for me. And that that also really was beneficial in work and business as well. So I think that was ended up, it was hard, but ended up being an incredible blessing um, to learn how to have very strong boundaries. And if I'm going to do this stuff in the world, then I have to take care of me because there is no other way that it's going to work. So they were all just such valuable lessons. I think one of the highs, and this was a moment that always sticks out to me is I had the opportunity to do a TED Talk and um you know that's a pretty full-on scary thing because it's a lot of pressure I do a lot of speaking but there was like this immense pressure laugh, about it? this talk <laughs> I was like Jesus how's it gonna go here's my one moment so you know make an impact and I remember feeling you know there's a big build-up to it and I'm at home the morning of it and my kids all took the day off school because you know they were around they were going to come watch and and I'm walking around the house pacing and they're like mom you've got this like and I remember in this moment thinking how powerful this is for them to witness me and my fear, to witness my courage. And then they came in to the talk and I did the talk. And after I finished, like, this is going to make me cry. I actually um, feel they, emotional
0: too. I was about to say to you after my night of little sleep.
1: Yeah. They, when I finished and everyone's clapping, all my three kids all stood up and they were oh, like wow. cheering and screaming, you know, for me. And I remember just in that moment thinking, wow, this. This is why you do hard things and this is Mm. powerful. My children watching me put myself out there being courageous and brave and them seeing Mm. this, this is an imprint for them that they can do the same thing.
0: And what a great lesson because we all have to do hard things in life. It may be a very small talk to one person. Mm-hmm. in a meeting yeah. it may yeah. be a ted talk to mm-hmm. thousands potentially millions online but it's pretty amazing that you're able to model that firsthand mm-hmm. with your kids yeah. and be yeah. like i
1: can do this and you can yeah. too and totally and they were all coming up to me afterwards and they're like i'm so proud of you, mom and you're amazing and you know they share that and i and i remember just thinking you know this is powerful work what what do we model to our children who do we want them to be in the world and i want them to be create courageous and i want them to take risks and I want them to step out of their comfort zone. And so, you know, there have been some of the highs in the work that I've done um, so that they can see it's possible that Mm -hmm. they can do it. And I've always said that to them. I'm like, I don't care what you do in the world, as long as it's in alignment with who you are, like really listen to your gut and your Mm -hmm. heart. I've never had any pressure whatsoever on them to do a certain thing. I'm just like, what does your body want? What is a yes for you? What lights you up? Follow that. And even as they're young adults now and they're kind of, you know, I've a joke they're wandering around the earth figuring out who they are, which is exactly what they're meant to be doing. I'm like, try lots of stuff, go and work for a really bad employer and go, yeah, no, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) And, you know, do this job and do that and figure out who you are like because this is where you will land in where your passion is and then where you can do powerful, amazing things in the world. Mm, I want to stay on your kids because you say that they're your greatest teachers. What are some of the biggest lessons they've taught you? Uh, They 100% teach me to look at my craft. So (laughs) um, I think the biggest things they've taught me is, you know, just in, well, firstly, I look at them and go, well, what do I want for them in the world? Well, I want them to be deeply authentic humans. And so if I look at the mirror of that, well, I'm like, well, am I modeling that to them? Kids can't be what they can't see, right? So Every time I would see something come up with my kids, I'd really question, am I being that? Like, who am I in that? What is my relationship to anger? What is my relationship to feelings? What is my relationship to money? What is my relationship to self-care? Like, they are watching me constantly. So what am I modeling to them? What am I showing them? So I think they've been my great teachers because I've looked through their eyes at myself and gone, "Hmm, I don't know about that. (laughs) Like, what is that there? Um, they have all taught me to trust deeply. Every single one of them in their own journeys have had, you know, whether it was my beautiful son when he was a teenager, he was the type of kid to go, if there's something to jump off or an ledge to explore or an edge to find, he was going to find it. And so, Mm. you know, for any mother who's got teenage boys, it's like, hold on, Mm. what are they doing? You know, see, he was a beautiful uh, teacher for me around trusting trusting that he was okay, trusting he knew his limits and his edges and he had to mess up a bit and find things in order to find his way back. You know, my middle daughter also had to navigate some really deep emotional stuff and sitting beside her while she went to the depths of her being and not fixing it and just being present taught me a level of how trust. do you do that? Experience.
0: Oh, it's hard. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. Hard. My son doesn't talk yet. So we're a while of that, but <laughs> the idea of him coming to me sad and me not trying to mm-hmm. fix it breaks yeah. my soul.
1: Yeah. It's really, really hard. And, and here's the thing we, we, we do our kids a disservice by fixing because really it is an incredible opportunity for them to learn about how strong they are and resilience. And, and it doesn't mean we we are not there. We are there every step of the way, but we are there to just sit beside them in the hardness and say, I've got you and I'm here and and I believe in you mm. and I believe in your ability to navigate this. So, you know, that was huge. And my youngest daughter, you know, again, in her own way when she was born, you know, it was a bit of a life or death situation. And I remember, again, having to sit in that place of trusting her journey, like even saying to her as a little baby, you know, if you don't want to be here, that's okay. I trust your journey. Like, you know, but I want you to be here, but mm. I have to let go. So, They've taught me so much about surrender, about trust, about um, being an authentic human in the world. And, you know, just, just constantly looking through a lens of owning my own stuff. Like they have been my greatest teachers. Like maybe I'm there to guide them, but I'm like, they have given me more than anything about teaching me about who I am Mm -hmm. in the
0: world. It's quite amazing. I would have probably deep down thought of that as a cliche before becoming a parent, but it's so true. And I loved hearing on The Imperfects podcast, I think it was your more recent episode talking about just holding space rather than fixing. Mm. So you've also recently written a book, which Mm. is called Raising Resilient and Compassionate Children. It was Mm -hmm. released in December. Can -hmm. you tell us a bit about
1: that? Yeah, so I wrote it with my um, co-author, Marion. So our podcast, the We're Parenting Podcast, um, we decided we'll just turn what we talk about into a book. Um, which has been amazing, and it's it's based on a lot of Aware Parenting, which is the Dr. Aletha Salter's work. So we've, I think we've just kind of bought so much of her work and kind of bought it into the modern age. Um, so we cover all sorts of things around, I guess, that whole paradigm that we've lived in in a long time around behaviourism, which is that, you know, when you're good, we reward you, and when you're bad, we take something away, and really looking at how that actually isn't healthy for us as a society and a culture. Um, and we really go into how do we help our children become resilient humans, and a lot of that has got to do with allowing them to actually feel what they feel. So we talk a lot about feelings and emotions in the book. We speak a lot to how to navigate tricky things, like how do we get our kids to cooperate? How do we deal with aggression and anger? How can we welcome feelings and tears to build that beautiful emotional intelligence in children? We look at some of the um, bigger th- topics like uh, sleep and um when kids don't want to feel their feelings and, and how we repress our feelings, we look at where we sit as adults around what we bring to the party. So a lot of my work in the world is looking at something that I call imprints, which is what were, what was modeled to us when we were young and do we continue that story now, even though it doesn't serve us. So our imprints around expressing, you know, anger or upset or our imprints around, following things that we love or our imprints around money or anything we have imprints around everything and we explore a little bit in the book around what those imprints are and how they work for us and how they don't and then how we can um we can heal or shift some of them so again we could be the best version of ourselves for our children so it's a beautiful guide like there's lots of stories in it i've written lots of the beautiful stories to give real life examples of how it actually looks what we're talking about and marion's written lots of beautiful uh, it really contributes this beautiful theory as to what we're talking about. So, yeah, it's been beautiful. It's done really well. It's um, been beautifully received. So it's uh, it's really nice to have it out there. Such a great resource for parents. And
0: while we're on the podcast, you've actually made the decision to step away from it, which was so relevant for me to what I'm trying to do with this podcast. Because you've obviously made the decision that there's all these spinning plates, and that one needs to stop spinning. Can you tell us a little bit about deciding that? Because I imagine there was also this guilt of this podcast is so successful. I've loved it so much.
1: Why don't I want to do it anymore? Mm. Yeah, it is tricky. Like I think some of the hardest decisions we make are stepping away from things when it's all going really well, right? Like why would you leave the party when it's just humming? But I think it comes back to this, like for me, at least I am, as I mentioned, I am, I'm really deeply connected to following what my yeses and nos are. And I always often get a sense of like when something's finishing. So, you know, we've got like 130 episodes on there and it's a beautiful resource, but I feel like we've spoken about or we can kind of speak about on that lens and and it wasn't it didn't hold as much passion for me anymore and I think that's always a sign for me when something's coming to an end. And, you know, I am a person that likes to have lots of different projects on the go and I think and when I've done something I'm like, "Ah, oh, I've done." So, even with my school you know, I built this school, but I'm not there that much anymore. It's now I did my part, which was I brought it to life. And now the principal and the team there are doing the most amazing job taking it forward. It doesn't need me as much anymore. And I think I really learned over the years to listen to that. When something's ready to finish, it's because something new is coming in. So, you know, we've spent three and a bit years on our beautiful podcast and Marion's going to continue with it. She's got lots of other stuff she wants to do. But for me, it just felt like, oh, it's my time is finished there. And I could feel that. And so, you know, I'm part of me is like, what, why? But I'm like, no, I can just feel like my energy doesn't sit as much there anymore. And I want to do other things. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, now I'm, I'm doing other work. I'm kind of consulting with others, people that want to build schools that are similar to ours. And I've got other biggest speaking opportunities going on. And, And so it is, it's kind of looking at, well, what serves me? And it was the same like when I was teaching sex education. I did that for like five years and then I really got a bit of a, yep, no, I think my time here is done. You know, I'm not loving it as much anymore or I think I've learnt what I've needed to. So I'm the type of person that really um, has to follow that. And I know that's not that's not the same for everyone. Some people are very content doing what they're doing, you know, for a really long time, but who I am in my makeup is that I have to go where the energy is and follow that. And sometimes it mm-hmm. doesn't seem to make sense, but over all these years now, I totally trust that it's right because I just trust it. And then sure enough, it's often not until a year later you're like, oh, yeah, that was perfect because it opened up more space for this. So, so yeah, that's um. That's where it sits. You know, it's tricky sometimes walking away from something that's amazing, but I'm also like, no, I just know my time with that is finished now. It sounds like you constantly reevaluate and reassess things as they're happening and see how they're
0: feeling, which I think is a really great lesson and piece of advice. Something else I've just thought of as we were talking about, you know, sick kids and being like, I can't cancel a talk of 150 people or stepping away from a podcast where people Like you're doing really deep work with people. Mm. There's a mental load of looking after your own kids, but what you're doing for people out in the public is really big. You're not Mm. teaching them how to make six figures. You're teaching them how to live a compassionate, healthy, happy life and bring up Mm. their kids that way. Does
1: Mm. the mental load wear on you in that capacity? Mm, Yeah, for sure it does. You know, there's plenty of times where I'm like, I cannot listen to anyone else's problems. (laughs) Like, I mean, amongst everything I've done, like I've really been a therapist for like nearly 20 years. So I still see one-on-one clients. I don't really anymore. But, you know, for the last 20 years, I've worked one-on-one with people every week as well. So you listen to a lot of stories, you listen to a lot of stuff. And for anybody who works in that listening therapeutic um, way, you'll know that you have to get really good at not taking on board people's stuff and also um, looking after yourself. So yeah, there's been plenty of times where I've hit burnout and I know I've hit burnout. Cause I'm just like, oh, I don't care anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's time for a break. <laughs> and then I have a little break and come back and go, mm, tell me a little bit. No, I'm, I really I've got do. Care, I promise. <laughs> yeah, I do. But I think that's been a good sign of knowing when you, you get compassion fatigue, you get a point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. And, and I think the thing is, and again, I find this so valuable, like I've listened to people's stories for 20 years on all sorts of things and I'm like even though there's different circumstances, all our stories are the same. They all come back to the same hurt. They come back mm. to the same wounding that most of us have, which is am I enough just the way I am? You know, they all come back to this deeper core work around who we are as humans and, and what needs we had as a child that maybe got mad or maybe didn't get mad and, and is that still playing out in our life now and then how do we work with that? So I see that and, you know, I've over the years I've created online courses on this and I run different immersions and stuff and that's really beautiful because you can reach more people and help them to find their place. So I think it for me it's about innovating and also going as, as I grow, what do I really want to do anymore and also it's how do I reach more people and that is, you know, that is something that I really value at the end of the day, whatever work I do. It has to be in alignment with who I am, but it also has to make a difference on the planet. That's really important for me.
0: If you could give new mum Lael one piece of advice about Mm -hmm. parenting and navigating career and parenting,
1: what would you tell her? Support, 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 (laughs) support. Get some support, like really get some good support and take care of you because none of this is going to work unless you feel connected to yourself. feel seen and heard so you know I I didn't do that for years and it was it was not good and it felt yuck and I felt resentful being a mom and I I was not happy because I just was not meeting my own needs and so and I really stand by this I became a really happy calm peaceful mom when I met my own needs Mm -hmm. because then I didn't yell anymore and then I had spaciousness to meet my kids in their stuff and and particularly in those years when my kids were little you know, if I look back now and go, it was a time which was a bit challenging for that determined part of me, but it was a season of slow, right? And, and know that, that that it will pick up again, but for now it's slow. Be with your beautiful little people. Cause it is true. And I sound so cheesy, but they're only small for such a short amount of time. I look at my like massive son, who's like six foot one, you know, (laughs) and he's this huge human. And I'm like, I'm oh like, God, I can't even remember when you were little, right? When I used to carry you on my hip, I'm just like, mm-hmm. this is nuts, right? And I absolutely love having adult children. I mean, each phase and age is beautiful. But I think if I look back to those times, you know, I would have said to myself, hey, you don't have to do it all now. Mm-hmm. Like, take a breath. It, your time will come. It is okay. Like, you're not going to miss out, you know, and be with these beautiful little people because, You know, they they need you right now. They're calling you in in this way. On the flip side, I um, hold my son on my hip and go, how
0: are you going to be a teenager one day? I really (laughs) cannot make sense of that. So I think that's beautiful advice. My last question for you, Lael, is if you could solve one problem for working
1: parents in Australia today, what would it be? Yeah, support. I would say, you know, we need the village. We so need the village we need extra support at home we need people to love on parents so they can be the parent they want to be I think that um we all know what kind of parent we want to be we want to be calm and connected and we don't want to yell um but we often aren't getting our needs met we're often stressed we're worried about money we're juggling too many things and we're not actually connected to ourselves so that we can be connected to our kids And so I think a big issue within that is how do we support families more? We need to change how we support young families. It just does not work. And our kids are the ones that pay the price for it, I think. And we see that with mental health. We see it through, you know, just even the aftermath of what we've gone through with COVID. So I don't know how that looks from a big systemic infrastructure point of view, but, you know, if everyone could have like a beautiful nonna who would look after their family, oh, and make love food for <laughs> them, who would make food for them, who would be with their little ones, who could just give, we all need a Mary Poppins in our house. Mm-hmm. You know, Or I used to say that I when do. people have babies, like everybody needs a postnatal doula to come and love on that family for a year, to help them with the washing and cook foods and listen to them and and play with the kids and just be there to offer that extra support as you find your feet and find ways to do it. And so I think, you know, we need more support, but also I think we need to lean into the village and find our own village for support. You know, in the hard years of of raising little ones, um, I had a really beautiful friend. I still have a really beautiful friend and she had children the same age as me and in those hard times I'd be like, let's just swap, like, you know, you take my kids for a few hours, I'll take yours. And we would often make food for each other and we we would joke. We're like, we all need to move in together, <laughs> mm. one big family, because we need two wives. <laughs> it just works with that. And um, you know, we used to often joke of you know how you know, we one of us would be, you know, cooking dinner and the other one would be playing with the kids. And I'm like, we need more of that. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we we learned pretty early on we need more of a village. Um, to get through because we're doing often this we're doing it on our own in our own houses and it's hard it's really hard and we're not meant to be doing it that way and so I think we need to have more conversations like this like what you're doing and also you know really look at the way that our system's been set up is not really to support the family unit at all and so what could we do to make it better?
0: It's the greatest
1: irony of you know mothers
0: are amazing and is the most important thing but Society doesn't really work to support that statement at all. So I love your ideas and I really want a nonna, a Mary Poppins, (laughs) a doula and a friend in my house. I want all four of them. Lael, your wisdom has touched so many people and I'm so grateful to have had you on the show. Before we wrap up, can you tell us where we can find you online?
1: Mm. Thank you. Um, So you can find me at Lael Stone. There's not another Lael Stone in the world. Um, There was, but she died a few years ago. So um, it's just me. So if you Google Lael Stone, you just get me. Um, So my website's got lots of my courses and videos and stuff to watch. And, um, you know, it's got our podcast on there and all the episodes are there. You can still listen to. It's got our book on there. Um, So on Instagram, Facebook, I'm just at Lael Stone. And you can find my school, if anyone's interested in that, at woodlineprimary.com.au. But, yeah, that's where I am. Thank you so much for being here today. I love chatting with you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. In acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, each episode I'll be doing a shout-out to an Indigenous business or charity doing great things. This week it's Young Auntie's House, a creative space for First Nations women and LGBTQI Plus mob to access mentoring and development opportunities across the creative industries. Check them out online at Young Auntie's House. That's house spelt H A-U-S. That's it for today. See you
1: next time.